0: We're in Ephesians. We've been through the first three chapters, which basically talk about when you became a Christian, here's what God did. Uh, he talks about the role of God the Father, uh, adopted you, chose you, uh, made you his own. Jesus Christ redeemed you, forgave you, uh, poured out his blessings upon you. the Holy Spirit, helped you to understand the word of God and the things of God, and sealed you. Ephesians 2, he talks about the idea that you're saved by grace. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't make God happy with you in any way, shape, or form on your own. The only way that God can be pleased with your life is when you put your faith and trust in him and him alone. We get to chapter 3. Paul talks about the fact that because you're Christian, difficult things are going to happen. And that's okay. Because God's going to use it for his glory. And to reach other people. So difficult things do happen in the lives of Christians. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 3. Get to Ephesians 4, and from chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul's going to be talking about some incredibly practical things. He's going to say, okay, now because you're a Christian, there are some things that ought to happen. And he starts by chapter 4 by saying this, because you're a Christian, you need to start growing up. If you're a Christian, you need to act like one. And so Paul talks about the idea that not only did God save you by his grace, but God also gifted you. When he made you his child, he also gave you a gift. And the gift was to be able to use in his kingdom. And each one of you has been wired in some way, given some unique gift that God wants to use. And it's your job to figure that out. We've given you some tools to do that. Last week, we started talking about this concept that Paul introduces called put off and put on. Basically, Paul says this. You're you're now a Christian. You're a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, you live differently than the Gentiles. That's non-Christ followers. So Paul basically says, don't live like the Gentiles do, but live like a Christian. And he's going to get into some incredibly specific things that are Christian and that are not Gentile. And he says, put off the Gentile things, put on the Christian things. And so last week we talked about two of those. Um, We talked about the idea that we are to be people of truth. And that as people of truth, we walk in truth and not in darkness. My wife, and then we talked about the issue of anger. That anger is a tool to get you to do that which is righteous. Um, you and I are to live self-controlled lives. My wife talked to me about halfway three, three through, three quarters to a week. She goes, you know what you did to everybody on Sunday, don't you? I said, "No what? She said... You know, she said, after you preached on anger, she said, you got couples in the church who are just fighting like cats and dogs all week long. I said, okay. I said, they're really going to love this week then. Um, So, anyway. So, if you were fighting this week after we talked about anger, then here's what you should know. And my wife said, she also said this, she said, we're doing pretty good. We haven't fought this week. I'm like, hey, good. Uh, okay, if, if you have been fighting this week, here's what you all need to know. Uh, that's a good thing because that means Satan's at work in your life and uh, you've got some work to do. And so we, we're, we talked about the idea of truth and we talked about the idea of self-control last week. This morning we're going to continue on and this is really going to be fun. So here we go. Let's throw out the first one anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need so right out the bat Paul deals with he says okay the Gentile world he said they steal he said you need to stop stealing now for many of you you're going to sit here and you're going to go oh that's okay I don't have a problem with stealing and I get that okay that's awesome that's great but we need to understand why he said this, because I don't think this is just about stealing. This is about a whole change of lifestyle. So let me talk just a minute to people about people who steal, because you need to understand there are some things that are true about people who steal. Okay? One of the things that's true about people who steal is they have a temporal value system. Somebody who steals basically thinks that a need or something that they take is going to meet a need. something physical can meet a need that they have. So they have this temporal kind of value system. The second thing about them is they have a sense of entitlement. They think they should have it. They think they deserve it more than you should have it, or they deserve it more than the store should own it. I mean, the store's got plenty. That's not going to miss just the one or two things that I take. So they have this sense of entitlement. The third thing about people who steal is this, whether they want to admit it or not, they're lazy. You see, somebody who steals realizes if I want that, I have to go and pay for that. And if I have to pay for that, I have to have money. And in order to have money, I have to go out and work. And if I have to go out and work, then it's going to take me too long to get enough money to buy that. So I'll just take it. So you have those things at play with somebody who steals. And Paul says, look. I don't want you to have a temporal value system. I don't want you to have a sense of entitlement. I don't want you as a Gentile to be lazy. That's what the Gentiles do. You're a Christian now. You do it differently. So notice what he says. So they must work. And literally the idea here is intense labor. They must work doing something useful with their own hands. Again, this was a culture in which there weren't office jobs. There were just every, every job was manual in some way, shape, or form. That they may have something to share with those in need. Now, you understand what Paul's doing here? Paul said, first of all, you need to understand that you need to work and you need to work hard. That's what's expected of God's children. It's hard work. In fact, I'm going to blow some of your, some of you are going to get all, all bent out of shape because... You think that when you get to heaven, you're going to sit in clouds with angels and sing. And those of you who are music people think that's a great idea. Those of us who aren't are going, don't sound like heaven to me. I've heard myself sing. Uh, But I think if you want a good picture of heaven, you go to the garden before sin. That was a perfect world as God created it without sin. And I think the things that you find in the Garden of Eden when God created it originally are the things that we're going to find in heaven. You know, one of the things that you find when God created man, you want to know what the first things that God did was? He gave him a job. He had to name animals. He had to take care of the garden and keep it. Adam worked. And by the way, this is before sin comes into the picture. Sin had not come into the picture yet. In fact, one of the curses of sin upon man was that the work was now going to be hard. The ground was not going to yield like it did before. Now you're going to fight weeds. And so Paul here takes this idea and he says, you need to understand, you need to work hard as a Christian. And many of you, growing up in a growing culture, you are you hard workers. I mean, there's no question about it. And I think the work ethic is very, very important. If there's one thing I think you, parents, you need to be teaching your kids, it's a work ethic. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you can teach your kids two things, work hard and be on time. They will forever be employed. If you can teach them that. Because you talk to anybody who has to hire people a day, and you know what the two complaints they are? Kids, people don't know how to work, and people don't know how to be on time. And you can instill that in your kids. I mean, pretty, they pretty much got a guaranteed job somewhere. And it's so important because, and, 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 Paul here lays it out. He goes, look, you need to understand hard work. That should be part of your Christianity is to work hard. Okay, I got to say this because this is, this is my thing and I like the rabbit trails and, and when I'm there, we go there. So here, here, I understand that some of you are really, really sensitive about helping other people who are less fortunate. Okay, So let me talk about work for a second from a biblical perspective. The Bible is pretty clear that if you can work, you should work. If you can work, you should work. Second thing, the Bible is very, very clear that you're not to be dependent upon others for things you can do for yourself. So, while I may want to give to somebody... I need to give wisely, so I'm not going to give to people who can be working but choose not to. I'm not going to give my money to somebody who is foolish with money. I uh, I don't do this very often, but I don't know. A couple of years ago, I was driving getting ready to go. I think it was going to the Y and I was there at the turn, on, on, on the turn off there and there was a guy panhandling I rolled down my window and I said, you know, what's the deal? And he goes, you know, I'm homeless. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I got a little bit of time. I'll run you over to the gospel mission. I said, jump in. I said, they'll give you food. They'll give you shelter. Take care of everything that you need right now. He goes, I can't go there. I said, why? He said, well, I get in fights with everybody and they won't let me back. I'm like, then you know what? You need to stand on the side of the road. You know what? I'm not going to help you if you won't even help yourself. You know? Because, by the way, when you do that, you just enable them. Parents, hear me. Oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, if we only have like 20 people here next week, you'll know why. Okay? (laughs) you got a kid living at home who can be working? They should be. You're not helping them by continuing to pay all their bills. You're not helping them. I told my kids, I said, as long as you're in college or doing some kind of schooling, you can live here for free. I said, the second that you're done with that, You're still allowed to live here, but you need to know you're going to pay rent. And I said, you need to know that every, and my kids know this is the way it was going to be. You need to know that the rent is going to go up every three to six months. And I said, until the rent gets so high, it's cheaper to live someplace else. Because my goal is not to have you at home. My goal is to get you out on your own. That's my goal. Because I want you to one day be able to subsidize my lifestyle. You know? I mean, my goal is to get them out on their own. My goal is not to coddle them and keep them there and, 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 and keep making excuses for them. And we've got to get this down because we're not helping these kids. We're not helping people when we do that. And you go, oh, that's really, really harsh. It might be really, really harsh, but that's the real, really, real, real world out there. And Paul says, look, and, and notice why, by the way, notice why we work. Why do we work? Help others. To help others. This isn't I go to work so it's all about me. It's I go to work so that I have the resources to help other people. Work's not about me, it works about other people. I work, and this is what Paul's trying to get at. As a Gentile, it was all about you. That's why somebody steals. As a Christian, you work to give. It's about others. It's a change in the way you look at work. So he deals with that. Then he gets even more specific. And notice what he says next. Not only change the way that you work, but he changed, you're going to change the way you talk. Listen to what he says. Next verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Again, it's that other people focus. That it may benefit those who listen. King James says, may minister grace unto the hearers. Paul says, let's talk about how you speak. He says, the Gentiles use unwholesome words. Here's literally the idea. Rotten words. Words that tear down. Um, words like name calling. Sarcasm, criticism without solutions, blaming, gossip, deception, slander, filthy talk, profanity. He says, that's the thing that the Gentiles do. We don't do that. We put that off now and we put something else on. Listen to a couple of these statements I thought were fascinating. Richard Carlson put it this way. When we judge or criticize another person, it says nothing about that person. It merely says something about our own need to be critical. Like what one guy said, the most important part of your life is actually the ability to use your words. Words define your life. Words define your values. Words define your personality. You are no better than your words. You are no greater than your words. The character of your words is the character of your personality. Watch your words. Paul says to put on wholesome words. Those are helpful words. Those are words that build up, words that are kind, words that show appreciation, that show grace. Um, in fact, I think it's interesting. Uh, like I say, the King James uses the word grace. He talks in earlier in this chapter about being truthful. Here he talks about the idea of being graceful with your words. John chapter 1, Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's being a Christ follower. That's being being someone who is doing the things that Jesus did. So, let's talk about how we work it out this week. You and I work differently. The whole purpose of our work is to glorify God so that we can serve others. Um, It's not about you amassing something for retirement. It's not about your mindset of work for me, 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 me. By the way, that's why some of you are so frustrated at your jobs. Because it's all about you. All your money goes for you. Um, I, I, share this, I share this principle with couples when I'm doing marriage counseling and, and they're getting ready to get married and we talk about money. And uh, one of the things that I tell them is I say, Look, here, here, here's the deal about money. money is not about getting stuff for you money is about using it to help others so i always challenge couples first of all not to think in terms of dollars but to think in terms of percentages so i always challenge them i say okay so you need to decide what percentage are you going to put away for saving what percentage are you going to put away for retirement what percentage are you going to put away for housing costs? what percentage are you going to use for car costs don't think in dollars because dollars change and depending on your employment record, think in terms of percentages and always try to live by those percentages. One of the things that I talked to him about right away is a percentage of giving it away. I said, every time you get a check, there is a percentage that should go away to somebody else. You go, oh, it's a church talking about money. No, I don't care. Don't give it here. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this. If you can't give here and be happy about it, don't give. That's what the Bible teaches. God loves a cheerful giver. We want people to be able to give here because they want to give and because they're happy to give here. We don't want people who go, Oh, the preacher's going to get rid of me. I can't let go of the check. I can't let go of the check. We don't write checks anymore. But I just can't let go of it. They don't give. Don't give. I don't want you to give grudgingly or of necessity. I want you be, we want you to be happy about it. God wants you to be happy about it. But see, if all your job is about you taking money and, and, and funneling it out for you, you're going to lose the whole joy of working. So from, from as long, I mean, back when I was in high school, I gave away a percentage of my money. It went to church, it went to some ministry, it went to somebody in need. It went, we, and we have always done that. As a church, by the way, we do that. The number we have for the church is 10%. Whatever, whatever dollar, dime, penny that comes in here, 10% of it goes into a missions count to be given away to somebody else. When we built this building, 10% of everything that came in for this building went outside of here. It wasn't about us. Because why? Because we believe in that. And, and I will say this we've actually done more than 10%, but 10% is our minimum. And we've always just given away. And I think God honors that. And I have watched God use, I have watched God take what I had left and make it go further than if I would have kept the percentage that I gave God. Because by the way, it's acknowledging it's all his anyway, isn't it? I'm just a steward of it. And so that's what's important. So, so the, the mindset is this. The reason you work is to be able to help other people. Not to keep it for yourself. You need to be generous. You need to be generous with your stuff. You need to be generous with your money. You need to be generous with the things that you have. You need to be generous. Somebody needs to borrow a tool? Let them use a tool. In fact, honey, as Black Friday approaches, I need more tools to be able to be generous with. So... (laughs) You know? I mean, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, But I mean, honestly, that's the thing. It's to be able to let God do that. That's why I have it. It's not for me. Yes, do I get the benefit of it? Yes, but it's also the benefit to help somebody else. Does that make sense? The Gentiles steal. It's all about them. They have this, this misconception about it. God's children. They're generous people. They give, they, they, they work so that they have money or resources or talents or abilities to help somebody else. That's what they're about. Plus, if we do it differently, it's not about taking, it's about giving. It's not about being selfish, it's about being sacrificial. It's not about me, it's about others. It's much bigger than just stealing. I think we really have to step back and take a look at How generous are we with our time, talent, resources? And I guarantee you there's somebody who you can be a blessing to if you let yourself. Second idea, we talk differently. We use wholesome words. This is where it's going to get very uncomfortable for some of you. Claire was very quick to notice. I have her blocks up here. These are not mine. I mean, technically they are, but you you know the idea. You build up or you tear down. Every word you say does one of two things to the people around you. So when I get up this morning and say, Hi, honey, I love you. How are you doing today? I'm building her up. Hey, just wanted you to know, I used the last of the creamer today. But... Rather than leave you an empty creamer bottle that you would have to throw away. I threw it away. By the way, I'm telling you this, you didn't know that. And then I opened the new creamer bottle and cut the top off of it and put it back on so when you went to grab the creamer, it was all full. Because I love you, honey. Hey, I'm gonna make supper for you tonight. What do you want? You know what? What do you want to do this week? Because I would love to spend some time with you and figure out what we can do. You know what, honey? I think it is so important. You are such an incredible wife. i got to get to five. Oh, all right. Brian to the rescue. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. All right, good. Yeah, you rescued me out. That's probably not going to be the first time it happened. Okay? So I have, and then here's what we think. What do you mean you're going to make that for dinner again? I have one negative thing, right? That's what we think. It doesn't work like that. I'm going to explain that to you in a second. Honey, I want you to know, I think you are the most incredible grandmother in the world. I love the relationship that you have with our our daughters-in-law. You know what? You are so good at calling your parents and taking care of them and checking in on them. I want you to know I really do appreciate all the things that you do in my life I am so fortunate that God has brought you into my life as my wife here's what's interesting they tell us that for an average relationship for every two encouraging things okay, you have to do two of these in order to offset one criticism or negative thing. If it is an intimate relationship, and by that we mean this is somebody very, very close to you, it's even more fragile. In an intimate relationship, it takes five positives to offset one negative. So, it's not like this. Why in the world would you? How come you're going to fix that for me again? This isn't how it works. Here's how it works. How come you're going to fix that for me again? Harvard Business Review. Let me get the statistics right. Um, looked at a. Uh, looked at a. Leadership, there, was, there were two people, and they, they did a bunch of research on leadership teams, and here's what they found. They found in business, by the way, those of you who are business people, this works in your business as well. They found that in a business relationship, they looked at 60 teams that were all working together and how effective they were as a team. Here's what they found. The most successful, effective teams had 5.6 encouraging positive things to say for every one critical thing that they said the average teams, the teams that did average in their performance, those teams had two positives to every negative. The poorest performing teams, you know what they found for them? There were three negatives to every positive. They did a little more study, and they looked at marriages. You know what they found in marriages? That for every... In divorced couples, here's what they found. There were three positives to four negatives. It was even less than one to one. It's 0.7%, 0.70%, 7.7%. This week, in your job, in your family, in your relationship, you are either building or you are tearing down. Does it matter? I'm not worried about building anything. I don't care if it hits the floor. Some of you wonder why you're struggling in your marriage. This isn't brain surgery. If you can't be kind to one another, how are you going to, as a Christian, go out in the world and be kind? Now, let me get really, like I say, if we have 20 people here next week, it'll be awesome. We're heading into a month of really nasty, ugly politics. What kind of stuff are you going to put on Facebook? Instagram? What kind of things are you going to talk about? The Gentile world talks about things in an unwholesome way. The Christian world builds up. Kind, courteous, loving, gentle, patient. You say, are you saying you can't ever say anything? No, I'm not saying you can't. But remember, we've already learned this in Ephesians chapter 4. We speak the truth in love because we do it differently. You know, we find a way to tell the truth in a way that softens it when it needs to be softened. I was faced with this this week. Um, Friday i come home after working up here and, and made the mistake of sitting down in my chair And I should never do that at four o'clock in the afternoon And I like background noise so I had something going on the TV I had my clicker on, the, on my chest and the next thing I know I was out And I was woken up suddenly because I thought the clicker slid off my chest and woke me up And so I reached over and I realized the clicker was still in my stomach and I felt this and then there was something a little bit larger and I grabbed a hold of it and the next thing I know I had a mouse <laughs> believe me he was as shocked as I was that apparently in my chair I have had food that has fallen down into the thing over the years so but I had apparently gone so far asleep that he thought that I was part of the chair, or she, whoever. So I grabbed it and threw it, and it hit the floor, and pretty dazed, but it took off, and I couldn't get it. So then I had to go outside and get mouse traps and put them all over the living room. Now here's my dilemma. I've been preaching about speaking the truth. And I have a wife who's now coming home in about an hour. And I have to decide, am I a truthful person or do I lie to protect the innocent? <laughs> so I sat down and lovingly said, I have some really bad news that you're not going to want to hear. I just And, and I thought maybe I could get away with not saying anything, and I tried that. Until she said, how was your day? And then it was like... I said, here's the deal. And so I said, I want you to know that I have protected the entire living room and I am going to get this thing. It is my mission. I've already taken care of the problem as best as I can take care of it. So that night... (laughs) I watch her get ready to sit in her chair. She walks around it and she shakes it and she moves it up and down and she pulls the little quilt thing off and shakes it and that's now our routine because after three days of everything I have tried, it still has eluded me. I think personally I scared it to death, but I don't know. But here's the thing. I had to speak the truth even though I knew she did not want to hear it because... I'm trying to build a relationship. This week, your words are going to build people up around you. Or, your words, the very people that you love the most and care about. The close intimate relationships you have. You're going to hurt them. It doesn't work like, oh, honey, you don't get it. Oh, friend, I told you I cared. It doesn't work like that. And it's so important for you and I to understand that. Take this and apply this to your kids. Apply this to your grandchildren. Apply this to the relationships that you have at work. With those employees who are not doing what they need to do? Wholesome words this week or unwholesome words? You choose. Proverbs says this way. Proverbs says it this way. Your words have the power of life and death. They build up and give life or they destroy and kill. How you use them this week is what's important. Paul says, the Gentile world does it this way. Put it off. Put on. Wholesome words. The Gentile world makes it all about themselves. Steal. take, Feel like they're entitled to it. The Christian world is generous, kind, looks for opportunities to serve other people. We do it differently. Because we're called to do it differently. That's how we grow. So I end with this. As Christians, we walk differently and we talk differently. This week, you have the opportunity to be generous or to be stingy. You have the opportunity to build people up with your words or tear them down. God wants us to put off the old and put on the new. And as we do that, God is glorified. And people are ministered to with grace and truth. Let God use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it is so easy. And Lord, there are people here who are surrounded by some of the most negative, critical stuff they hear all day long. Lord, they're in workplaces that are just overwhelming for the way the Gentiles do it. And it's so easy, Lord, to let that creep into our lives. Lord, I I pray that you would help them this week to understand the opportunity they have to show the world a different way. Lord, there are marriages here that they don't know anything other than criticism and cutting down. And and Lord, this idea of building up, um, Lord, they did it when they're dating, but not when they're married. And Lord, I just pray that you work in their hearts and help them to change. Lord, there are are people here who talk to their kids in a way, Lord, that's that's hurting. And uh, Lord, we we don't want to be that kind of a parent. So Lord, help us this week. Lord, some of us, it's easy to focus on us and not focus on the needs of people around us. So help us to be generous with our time, talents, abilities, gifts this week. Lord, when it is all said and done... May people look at us and see a group of people who do it differently and ask why and give us the opportunity to share Christ and the purpose behind why we do what we do. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may you be honored. May people be drawn to you. May we build each other up. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to...